Well, since it is the time of year and this particular week when we ask ourselves the question and one another the question, what child is this? At least we do in song. Uh, I want to have us answer that question today from a certain text of Scripture, and that text would be the 17th chapter of John's Gospel. So if you have a Bible, you can find John chapter 17, and we're going to let this non-traditional, non-Christmas text answer the traditional question, uh, what child is this? And in this text, uh, Jesus does talk about why he came into the world, which would be referring, obviously, uh, to his incarnation, to his birth. But I'm all for tradition, and I'm all for being non-traditional. So we're going to answer the traditional question with the non-traditional text. And I can't think of a better text than John 17 um, at answering the question, who is Jesus? It's Jesus' high priestly prayer. It's not at the beginning of his life, at the end of his life. Um, But it doesn't really get any better than John 17. John 17 is one of those texts where it's pretty simple to understand. Um, You can understand it well enough to be offended. Okay, He's that clear. Um, But also, I've been studying John 17 since I've been a Christian, and there are so many questions I don't know the answers to uh, in a good way. It's... It's, it's deep and wide, and so I hope you're encouraged as we let it answer the question, what child is this? Who is Jesus? I have six answers that I'm going to, going to be following as an outline. Uh, there are six ways it answers that question, or six answers. The first answer to what child is this from our text is he is the successful son. He is the successful son, opening five verses it's going gonna, it's gonna to be good. Okay, here we go. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to, to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you. Since you have given him dominion, excuse, since you have given him authority over all flesh, to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. I'm going to pause until it's really uncomfortable (laughs) because everything I'm going to say now pales in comparison to what you just heard. I I have not done it yet in the other services, but as I'm reading it, I thought we should just read it again. (laughs) What we've just heard Jesus say is extraordinary, absolutely extraordinary. He is to receive glory because he's the great glory giver. He is the son. He has authority over all. 
He gives eternal life. He's the one sent by the Father. He successfully accomplished the work He was sent to do. He is the one who existed before the world existed. It is way beyond my pay grade to try to even explain this. Absolutely amazing what we hear about Jesus from the, word, from the mouth of Jesus. Jesus is not the one who, who came and tried. He accomplished, did you see that in verse 4? Having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. I have to just keep repeating myself. Absolutely amazing. Staggering to my mind. Before the world existed, is this plan, is this purpose. Then he comes into the world and he accomplishes what he was sent into the world to do. Pretty amazing. Pretty amazing. Those opening verses are some of my very, 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 very favorite. If you're one who doesn't like a theological shorthand or theological labels, um, you still came to the right place, but you could look up the weather real quick because we're going to talk about labels and shorthand. Um, but I will tell you it's going to be 43 degrees, uh, mostly cloudy this afternoon, slight wind out of the southwest. So you don't have to look it up. So this text that we just read and other verses in our text are key proof texts um, that theologians turn to and, and talking about what they call the pactum salutis. So, fancy Latin for you. The pactum, the pact, the agreement, the covenant salutis of salvation, otherwise known as the covenant of redemption. Now, if you type in a Bible search engine, the covenant of redemption, you're going to get zero hits, Okay but it's a theological shorthand label, the covenant of redemption. It's short for describing what happened before time began. Jesus said before the world was. So again, you want to use fancy terminology. It's, it's atemporal. It's before time begins. It's outside of time as we know it. And the Father and the Son agree the Father's going to give a people to the Son, and the Son is going to redeem them and give them then back to His Father. Okay, so the Father and the Son agree. A covenant is an agreement. The Father and the Son, before time begins, agree to have the Son come into the world and to save a particular people. And He does it. And as a result of the Son's faithfulness, the Son is highly exalted because He accomplished redemption as His Father had Him. Now we can look at other texts and see the Holy Spirit is involved as well, like Ephesians chapter 1. It's not in this text, or He's not in this text. But the triune God purposed, planned, decreed to save people through the finished and perfect work of the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. I love the pactum. I love it because it's beyond me. It's beyond what I could comprehend. It's a bit of a mystery to me, but it causes me to want to worship Christ. And I hope it causes you to want to worship Christ. Absolutely amazing things Jesus says in this prayer. He is the successful one. He is the one who did what he was sent here to do. And it makes him unlike everyone else. Number two. 
Number two, the next answer to our question, what child is this, is he is the God revealer. He is the God revealer. We're going to see this in verses six to eight. Let's go ahead and see. I have manifested or I have revealed or I have made known your name, he says to his father. I've made your name known. And think in terms of uh, not like my name, Pat. I think my parents named me because of a friend that they liked. Okay, uh, Think in terms of we're, we're talking about Jesus made God's name known. Well, God's name reveals his character, his nature, that, that he and he alone is the one true and living God who is faithful, who makes promises and keeps promises, and all of those sorts of things that would be wrapped up and tied into his name. Jesus, in saying, I made your name known, He's saying what? In other words, I made you known. I made you truly known so people could know who you truly are. I have manifested. I have revealed. I have made known your name to the people. Notice the specificity to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were and you gave them to me and they have kept your word Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. So he is the God revealer. I I made you known to them, and I made you truly known to them. And they've come to believe what I've revealed to them. And they've come to believe the truth about who I am and who you are. He has truly made God known. Reminds me of John chapter 1 verse 18. It talks about the invisible God. That no one has seen God before. God is invisible. God is a a spirit. But it says in John 1 18, after it says no one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father. And then it says, He has made Him known. So, the Lord Jesus Christ has made God truly known. This doesn't mean that I know God exhaustively. It doesn't mean I know God perfectly, nor did any of these 11, but I know God truly because the Lord Jesus Christ is faithful in his mission in making God known. Making God known in particular to sinners who don't know who God is because of sin and its corruption, and we just think of God in terms of our own image and and making idols, and and the Lord Jesus Christ has, has smashed all of that, if you will, and made God truly known to whom? Jesus says, to those you had given to me. To those you had given to me. If we looked ahead to verse 26, I made known to them your name, I will continue to make it known. Pretty interesting stuff to understate it just a whole lot. How do we truly know God? Well, we can have confidence that we can know God because the one who is going to be crucified and raised from the dead is the one who makes God known to us, makes him different from all others. I like it. I like the 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 emphatic nature. It puts emphasis on the fact that he did it. It wasn't, I tried, I tried, I tried. No, Jesus talking to his father, I've done this. I did what you gave me to do. 
I succeeded in doing these things. He's the faithful, loyal son. Back to that again. Let's move on to another way of answering the question, who is Jesus? Number three, the effectual protector. The effectual protector. I know it's a big word, but I'm trying to have it all kind of sound the same, and I'm trying to get a lot in there. John 17, of all things, okay? Uh, Forgive me for using words like effectual, okay? What I I mean is effective, um, successful, okay? So so he is the effectual protector. What we're going to see is Jesus praying for his disciples, and we're going to see beyond just the eleven... Also, all who would be disciples, he is effectual. He is effective in keeping us spiritually safe. This is a this is a, a an assurance text, an assurance prayer. Who is Jesus? He's the one who saves people and keeps them saved, never to be lost. Let's go. Let's go ahead and read it. It says in verses nine to sixteen. It's a pretty big section there. I am praying for them. So Jesus is praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. And if I could just pause for one rude second. In just a little while, he's going to make it clear that he's not only talking about the eleven. He's going to make it clear in just a little while, he's going to include all those who would believe in him, even through the the testimony of the eleven. And so I'm inviting you to see yourself in this passage. Sometimes I'm, I'm trying to be a good pastor and saying, you need to stop reading the Bible as if it's all about you. Okay? On a different Sunday, I would say that, right? It's, it's the revelation of God. But um, this would be a good time to, to see yourself in the text. Because as we'll see, he's praying for the 11 and he's praying for everyone who would ever believe. And so I want you to be encouraged and say, the Lord Jesus Christ prays like this for me if you are a believer in Christ. This is meant to, 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 to encourage you and, 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 and bolster and boost your assurance. I am praying for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. Then verse 10 says, all mine are yours. And yours are mine. And I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world. Which is kind of an interesting thing to say because he's not even gone to the cross yet. But it's as if it's all done already. But they are in the world. And I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name. So keep them, protect them. Okay? Keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them. Protection, safety. I kept them. Not I tried. I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them. Again, synonym for protection, safety. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost. So effectual. Not try, but do. And not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction that the scripture might be fulfilled. But, I, but, but now I am coming to you and these things I speak in the world that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, your saving word, your gospel word. And the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, 
but that you keep them. There it is, protecting again, safety again. Keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. He's the effectual protector. We could look elsewhere. We're not this morning. We could look at Ephesians 1 and see the Spirit is involved as well. The Spirit in sealing us for the day of redemption. So here we have the Son keeping, protecting, guarding. And He's leaving. Father, keep them, protect them, guard them. And no doubt the Spirit is involved. The one who seals us for the day of redemption. The triune God is involved in our security. And that is an absolutely amazing, amazing reality. If someone were to ask you, oh, if they heard, oh, I heard you believe in in assurance of salvation, which some churches officially damn and condemn. And they damn and condemn all who would say you can be sure. But if someone were to ask you, oh, you go to Omaha Bible Church or, or something like that, do you believe in assurance? What do you base that upon? I'd say the Trinity. (laughs) John chapter 17. That Jesus prays for me. That Jesus intercedes on my behalf. And Jesus is, is not only protected when He was here on earth, but He also asks His his Father to do this. His Father who's all-powerful. Not to mention the Spirit. Yeah, I believe in assurance, all right. Father, protect them. I can't help but mentally think in terms of what James says, that the prayer of a righteous man availeth much. This is the prayer of the righteous man, okay? If, if, if you are ever going to have prayer availing much, you're going to have prayer availing much when it comes to the Lord Jesus Christ who prays for His own. None are going to be lost. I have to mentally go to John chapter 6 or John chapter 10. This is meant to encourage. He's the effectual protector. Now, some of you might have not heard anything I just said because you were thinking about how controversial this sounds. You came to the right place. I've had a hard time with the controversy in this passage as well. Jesus is very particular. I'm not praying for these, I'm praying for these. And that might be offensive to you. I hope you can, by God's grace, move past the offensiveness and realize how great it is that Jesus doesn't just care in a generic, non-personal way. No, particular prayerfulness for these so that he would lose none of them. It's shocking, but it's, I would say, altogether lovely to know that this is the kind of Savior that Christians have. Let's move on to the next one to answer the question, who is Jesus? Number four, he's the great commissioner. He's the great commissioner, and I'm borrowing from Matthew 28, uh, in a sense, as you'll see. But he's going to send out these disciples with the message of him being the Savior. And it says in verse 17, Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. 
And I read those two together. I really like verse 17 alone, but it probably belongs with verse 18 in the sending sense. I'm going to sanctify them. I'm going I'm to set them apart for a unique kind of thing. As I've been set apart for a unique kind of thing in doing my redemptive work, I'm going to set them apart. I want them to be set apart for proclaiming the message of my redemptive work. So I have a unique calling, the son, no doubt he does the work, but they have a unique calling because they're the ambassadors, they're the preachers, they're the ones who will carry out the Great Commission. And so he's praying for them in that regard. He says in verse 19, and for their sake... I consecrate, same word translated a different way, I sanctify, I set apart myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. He sanctifies himself. He's going to do it for them, for us, to do his work. But he's doing that not only for us, and then he's going to set us apart in a different sense, but still connected to him because it's the message about him. And then it says in verse 20, if you'd look there, I do not ask for these only. This is, this is why I gave you permission to read yourself into this text. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. Which is significant. Before anything even transpires, this is all purposeful by Jesus. So this is what I'm going to do myself for them. But I also have a unique calling for them because they belong to me and they're going to be the ambassadors. They're going to be the messengers. And as a result of them being sanctified and proclaiming the message that they benefit from, what's going to happen? Many other people are going to come to believe it as well. And so I'm praying also, not only for these 11, I'm praying for all of those who would come to believe. applies to us. Okay, let's move on to number five. Another way we answer the question, what child is this? He's the gospel uniter. He's the gospel uniter. Verses 21, 22, and 23, that they may all, all believers, starting with the 11, but not only the 11, that they may all be one, just as you... Really? He's... Just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. That, that, that's, a, that's a pretty grand kind of statement when it comes to unity. But if he is the unique Savior, the one and only Savior of all different kinds of people from all different times, tribes, tongues, nations, to borrow from the book of Revelation, if he is the one Savior and He's the one Son sent from the one true and living God, then we're united to Him by faith and we are one. Amidst all of our diversity, we have one Savior. The only way we get to, to the Father is through the one mediator. And so He's the great gospel uniter. And our world is filled with ways trying to unite people. It seems like some of the ways they're trying to unite people are just trying to divide people in order to unite people, but I digress. The one true uniter is the Lord Jesus Christ, and it happens through His work, through His gospel, and He makes this extraordinary, dare I say, radical 
statement about as we were one or as we are one. Something amazing happens when you believe in Christ. You're united to Him by faith. And now God accepts you as He accepts His perfect Son. You can't make this stuff up. Amazing. He's the great gospel uniter. One faith. We have one Savior. That's why we call it the faith. Verse 22 supports this and following. The glory that you have given me, which would be, according to verse 4, he gave him that glory because he completed his work. The glory that you've given me, I have given to them. So, so notice, he's glorified because of what he does. But he gives it to us. So it's not because of what we do. It comes to us freely. He gives it. But it wasn't given to him. Okay? He accomplishes it and then gives it to us. I have given to them that they may be one even as we are one. I in them and you in me that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you loved me. Now we could digress and talk about how a lot of times the world watches what Christians do and how Christians act and what churches do and those kinds of things and they say, how terrible. And rightfully so, in one sense. But where there is the true gospel, the good news about what Christ has done, His perfect life, His perfect substitutionary atonement, in His death and His perfect resurrection and ascension, what He accomplishes, gives to us, where that is clear we have a true church, where that is clear we have a true gospel, we have a true presentation of Christ, and there is true unity in that. And that should be something, if we're clear about it, that an outsider can watch and see and say, a lot of different people, a lot of different languages, a lot of different time over the years. Same message, same Savior, same God. Isn't that something? We should always happen that way, but it's designed to do that, that the world may know. But you know, we should move on. Number six, finally. What child is this? He is the love revealer. He is the love revealer. If we look again at verse 23, and then we'll go beyond 23, but it ends with, that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. Another very extraordinary statement. So the Father loves the Son, that's obvious. But also, loved them. The Father loves sinners who don't deserve love. Well, yeah, He sends His Son. It's extraordinary. That you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. 
we talk a lot about love and I say, well, this is what I think love is because here here's how I feel. And then I say, here's what love is because here's how I feel. And you say, well, here's what I think love is because here's how I feel. And there's all kinds of different discussions about what love is. But make no mistake about it. The Father loves the Son. And the Father loves those given to the Son uniquely, extraordinarily, and we know what the love actually looks like and is because He sends His Son to be the atonement for our sins. Matchless. The example. The great display. Verse 24 says, Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am. To see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. Remember we talked about that ah temporal, outside of time, before the foundation of the world. All of this was true. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. And I think we could do a whole series on verse 25. We won't, but ever so, ever so quickly, but profoundly, think, think in terms about what, that, what that's getting at and what it means. Oh, righteous Father. Well, that, that, that's true and good and right, but that's not good news to us if we don't have a mediator, if we don't have a Savior. Oh, righteous Father. Righteous means law-upholding, law-promoting. God is judge. So here Jesus refers to his father as judge, which isn't a good look if, if, you're, if you're unrighteous. So when he then says, O righteous father, even though the world does not know you, how is it that the world doesn't know the father? It's because of their unrighteousness, right? Unrighteousness, sin has broken the right relationship. And so when Jesus says, righteous father, righteous father, the world doesn't know you. They don't know you because they're unrighteous. I'm not reading too much into this. I know you. So while they don't know you, I know you. How is it that Jesus knows the righteous father? Again, not reading too much into this, but I know my Bible well enough to know that Jesus is called the righteous. He, he, he's the law upholder, law abiding one. And so he can refer to him, his father, as a, our representative in a positive way as righteous father. World doesn't know you, but I know you because he's righteous. He's, he's, he's upheld his father's law as representative, as the one who is the last Adam. And then he says, and these know that you have sent me. So these I've been praying for, these believers, they know that you've sent me. This is positive to them. They understand this. They, understood that, they understand that you, they know that you have sent me because they understand what I came here to do. Then verse 26 says, and we'll end, I made known to them your name. I made you known truly, authentically, genuinely. I made known to them your name. I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. 
which is quite the promise regarding his love. I have, and I'm going to continue to do it. I'm going to continue to do it with these. I'm going to continue to do it with those who will hear their message about me. I'm going to not only do a saving work, I'm going to do a sanctifying work, and I will continue to make this known to them. That the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. What child is this? He's an extraordinary child. He doesn't remain a child. He is the successful son. And we're united to him by faith. And so we are saved, sanctified, preserved, guaranteed. These are amazing things. So as you think about who Jesus is, be impressed with who he is to the point of wanting to worship him. And with that, let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning and thank you for the unique opportunity we have to look at a passage like this that is compelling. May it compel us to want to live for the glory of Christ. May it compel us to want to dig deeper and know him better. May it compel us to be those who would be faithful ambassadors speaking truly and clearly of your great son, the Lord Jesus Christ. In his name we pray, amen.